at North Point, but they, uh, they let me up here this morning to talk about something different, something we've been calling gospel fluency. We are in, uh, I, almost the middle. We're, uh, five weeks, I think, into this series called Gospel Fluency. The idea of speaking the stuff or the truth of Jesus into the everyday stuff of life. Gospel Fluency, fluency, the idea of being so familiar with something that it just flows out of you. You don't have to like really think about it or go, how do I make that work? Like fluent, just flows out of you. Like auto mechanics, really good ones that are fluent are like wizards to me. You know, like, I think it's magical. Like, if we, well, I won't, I won't make jokes about the Salem witch trials, but that's how I feel. Like, these guys are magical. Cause for them, like, like, diagnosing a car problem is just fluent. Like, they're like, oh, it's your hand, it's gonna for a car. Right? And then to fix that, we just go, and I just pay out money. <laughs> Cause I don't know. Right? These guys are fluent in auto. And I just think that's cool. Fluency, this idea of when it just pours out of you, you're not really gutting it out, thinking about it. It's just so natural. And the idea of the gospel. The gospel, the story of the good news of Jesus. And, and, and last week, we kind of wrapped it around four words, four seasons, four different concepts. The idea of creation, fall, redemption, recreation. You vaguely remember that a little bit? We could think about that like the, the entirety of the world and the Bible, creation. God created everything in the garden. There was a fall, like Adam and Eve made some bad choices, and there was redemption. The whole plan was Jesus to come and redeem the relationship between God and people, and then recreation. There will be a recreation in the very end of time when God comes back and sets it all right, and we are being recreated now into the image of Jesus. We could think macro, we could also think micro, like in our life, we have this reality, like, like Chris Carter was created for relationship with God. That, that's, that's the design on my life. And yet there was a time where I didn't get that. I fell away. I, I didn't, I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't care. I was doing my own thing. would fall. And then there was this moment where I was introduced to the reality of Jesus, redemption. Maybe we'll call it salvation. Maybe you got baptized. Maybe you walked down an aisle. Maybe you were watching Billy Graham on TV and you just prayed in your room. However that looked, there was this moment of redemption. And from that moment on, there's been this recreation as you're formed into a disciple of Jesus, right? Someone who follows Jesus, being changed by Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus. The gospel, you can think macro, we can think micro in our own lives. We could just think about this last week. Like, did that cycle play out in your life this last week? Was there a moment where you were like, what am I doing? <laughs> Who am I, man? I, I say this, but I'm living, oh my gosh, help me, Jesus. Right? And maybe you came in and there was some, ch- you're with me, right? This idea of gospel fluency. And last week, Rick opened a concept called the gospel in me. And the idea being that it has to start here, right, before it matters anywhere out here. If it's not here, it's never going to be here. Make sense? The gospel in me. And Rick really talked about the positive side last week. The idea that we talk about the things that we love. If we love Jesus, we're going to be talking about him. If you spend any time at all with me, you're going to find out pretty quick the things that I love. Some of you are chuckling because you spent a little time with me. (laughs) And you know what I really, really enjoy. And I talk about that naturally. And there should be something similar to our love for Jesus. We love Jesus. We talk about it. Well, today, I want to talk about the, the dark side of that coin. So the gospel in me, but I want to talk about the scary stuff. I want to talk about the battle that we're up against. And so I want to read a few verses and set the tone and then um, just work through a tool that uh, gospel fluency gives us that I think is one of the most practical tools in this entire study. 
So if you have the app and you want to open that, there's a couple places to do some fill. There's great places to take notes. There's some sermon notepads behind you. If you're not a tech person or your thumbs are like huge and you can't make it happen, then we got, you can write down and take pictures of the screen, whatever you got to do. I think today is one of the most practical tools uh, in this entire study. Let me just start with a couple of verses so we're on the same page in terms of what we're up against. If we, if we just start in, in Ephesians chapter 6, the author of Ephesians, a guy by the name of Paul, a guy who had spent the first half of his life uh, very much living the concept of fall. It was creation and then he fell. And his whole thing was like to kill Christians because he thought they were against God and he was after him. And, and in the second half of his life, a little longer, he, he, he has this experience with Jesus, redemption, and he goes to live a very different life where he becomes one of the most passionate writers and speakers and followers of Jesus ever. He, he wrote a number of the books that we have in the thing we call our Bible. And in Ephesians, he had written a letter to a church. And this is what he says in chapter 6, uh, in verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I'm always hesitant to read a verse like that because I feel like we, we land in a couple of categories. Uh, some of us who are a little more on the logical side of life, we look at that and we go, well, that sounds weird and, and kind of spooky dooky, and I'm not, I don't know what to do with that. Right? And then there's folks that really land kind of in that whole spiritual realm of life, and they're like, oh, yeah, there's demons around every corner, and we just got to be constantly... And, and I don't want to go in either of those directions. I just want us to look at the idea here of what Paul is saying, the fact that our battle isn't against the people that drive us nuts. Our, our battle is against these spiritual forces in our lives. We would we would call that Satan, driven by the, the devil. That's his thing. The devil is real, and he really wants to destroy us. Right, but he doesn't come at us like, like you see the Halloween decorations, like with a pitchfork and stuff. Like scripture's clear that he comes at us with these really well-crafted schemes. I, I love that word. Schemes. Cause it just, it sounds so sneaky. Right? It sounds so like, oh, gross. Like schemes. Right? That's how Satan comes at us is with these schemes. These little things that he whispers in our ears. Right, these little ideas and thoughts, these little moments that we tend to capitalize on or we focus on and we spend a ton of energy focusing on and it's like the devil says, yeah, keep thinking about that. Keep working on that. See, he attacks with these strategies to keep us weak and ineffective. It's like, like the devil's goal is not for us to worship him. He doesn't want us to turn like North Point into the Church of Satan and all, all of y'all folks like into people that are like lighting candles and doing weird stuff, right? That's not his goal. His goal is just to keep us curled up in the corner of a room being ineffective. He's very happy with that. And so that's how he attacks. The reality is that the devil is against us. Uh, the author John, he, he puts it like this in, in 1 John chapter 2. He says this. He says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Context of this passage is this idea of what are we up against? As Christ followers, those who are seeking to be disciples of Jesus, what are we up against? And John says we're also up against this thing that we call the world. Maybe we'd call it culture or what we're surrounded by or entertainment media. The world, it constantly encourages us away from God. It's like part of its strategy is to just encourage us slowly away from God. It whispers things to us like, he's not real. God can't help with this. He doesn't really care. 
There's so much better out there, and God's just trying to keep you from it. These are the things that, that subtly and slowly the world often whispers in our ear. And, and the reality is that at times, the world is against us. In Romans, again, we're back to Paul and what he's talking about. Romans, he, he says this to the church in Rome. It's just a letter to the church in Rome. Again, he's talking about this battle. What are we up against? He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, he says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. That's a strong phrase. The mind governed by the flesh equals death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh can't please God. So we've got the devil against us. We've got the world at times against us. And the stinking reality is that oftentimes we've got this thing against us. Like this body that we live in, it, 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 it's often referred to in the scriptures as the, the flesh. And it doesn't mean the literal like flesh on my bones, but this little chunks of, of stuff that's still inside of me that Jesus is working on still to redeem. And yet there are these things in me that just crave what, what it shouldn't crave. It wants what it shouldn't want. We do things that we shouldn't do because it feels good. Paul, again, just a chapter before in Romans, he, this is Paul. And so I'm clear on that, like, the second half of Paul's life, he becomes this passionate follower of Jesus. His entire world is wrapped around it. He spends every waking moment, I don't know if it's every waking moment, but track with me here, every moment, waking moment, thinking about Jesus, writing about Jesus, praying to Jesus. He goes to prison, and he's like, this is cool, because I'm chained to a guard who can't get away from me. And I'm talking about Jesus. This is Paul, right? Paul, who gets beat many, many times because of his relationship with Jesus and his desire to speak about Jesus. I'm going somewhere. Just hang with me for another second. This is Paul, who eventually dies because of his love for Jesus. This is what Paul says about himself. This is my favorite verse in the Bible. I say that a lot. In, in Romans chapter 7, uh, verse, I don't know, 8, it says, uh, For I know that the good, uh, I know that good itself does not dwell in me. This is Paul. He's not talking about you. He's talking about him. He says, I know no good dwells in me. Like, Paul, you wrote half the Bible. <laughs> what, what do you mean? You know, good dwells in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil that I don't want to do, yeah, this I keep on doing. Yeah, now, now, what if I do what I don't want to do is in me? It's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living inside of me. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Like, do you catch this sense of his, of tone? He, he's like, the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And the stuff that I want to do, I can't do. And the stuff I really don't want to do, that's the stuff that I keep doing so much. So I, waha! And he finishes the ha with this in verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says that so often this flesh is against us. All right, so let's pray and be done because now you know that the devil's against you, the world's against you, and the flesh is against you. We're all going to die. Right? Yay. Hang on, we, we've got some options. This is kind of cool. This is uh, the way uh, in the book, Gospel Fluency, I like how Jeff Vanderstelt puts it. He said, the devil screams out, God is evil, I hate him. I will do everything to oppose him and destroy what he has made. 
The world screams out, the world is best without God, and you are best when it's all about you. And the flesh screams out, I don't need God because I am God. It's all about me, and it's all dependent on me. So what do we do with that? Where do we go with that? Let's find some hope for that. Paul, again, in the church to Corinth, he writes this. Chapter 10, verse uh, 3. It says, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. It sounds kind of like where he started, doesn't it? We don't wage war, uh, war as the world does because it's not against flesh and blood. It's against these spiritual forces that come after us, whether it's inside of me or outside of me. It says, The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. The weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish, God, demolish is a great word, isn't it? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And we'll be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. The weapons that we have give us the ability to demolish things. Like, demolish it. Boys, are we together? Like, demolish things. Some of you guys are into Tannerite. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Right? That demolishes stuff. It's fun. Amen? Okay, boys, we're going to have to go out and spend some time with some explosive chemicals. I'm just saying, demolishing is kind of, that's like, so there's a wiring to that. Demol- we have this, this weapon that allows us to demolish these forces that come at us. What's that weapon? Paul says the idea of taking every thought captive and uh, forcing it to submit to Jesus. Man, that's just like, that's like over-the-top masculine language, isn't it? I guess it's almost violent. The Bible encourages violence. Now, let's not quote that. We can take that out of the video, right? Awesome, thanks. Uh, the idea being taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. This has been a powerful thing in our home. We've been working on this idea for years, actually. Long story, but I won't tell you all of it. Just spare you from it. But it's been a huge component in our home as we've just worked through issues of anxiety and whatnot. This idea of think, taking every thought Captive. And that's really what this week is all about in gospel fluency, is this concept of because of the battle we fight, because of where uh, uh, targets are coming at us, arrows are coming at us, what do we do with that? We have this ability to demolish that, but it starts with taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus, because everything starts here. Like what we think, we will act based on that. And you know this. And we're going to kind of play with this a little bit this morning because because Vanderstel gives us a really simple tool. He has four steps in it. I'm not so smart. I only have three because that's all I can do. But but that's okay. Here's what he says. He says, what does this look like practically? I'd say, what does this look like practically? Number one, we say, uh, take the thought captive. I, I know I just said that sentence like 12 times and you're not allowed to use the, 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 the word in the definition of the word. But that's really what we're talking about. Taking the thought captive. Stop. Grab a hold of that thought of what you're actually thinking. I'm not kidding, guys. This is a phrase we use in our home all the time. Like, grab the thought, put it on the table, and we start looking at it. Like, like too often, we don't do that. We're just held captive to our thoughts. And because we think it, we assume that it's true of us, and we just start moving along, and we live that way. But the first step is to really just pause and, and, and take that thought. A really great idea is write it down. Because oftentimes when we see something, we're like, wait, do I really, I don't, do I really think that? Oh my gosh, I hope no one sees this. They'll think that I'm insane. (laughs) The idea being stop, take that thought captive, maybe write it down, speak it out loud. We need to learn to speak our beliefs out loud. Too often we're not even aware of what we're believing. That's a great strategy from the devil to say, oh, don't say that out loud. Man, if God hears that, he's going to like, 
So not true, man. God's not going to, just because you said something out loud that would not look good in the Bible. Matter of fact, if you read the Psalms, the psalmists say a lot of things out loud and then write them down, and they're contained in the Bible, and I read them, and I'm like, snap, can you say that to God? I don't know. And they do. Right, so this idea of speaking it out loud, we talk a lot about being plugged into a group here, and that, and that idea of the, that group is a group that you can speak that out loud to because often we need help discerning our own thoughts. Some other people that are on this journey with Jesus as well and love me enough to say, ah, Chris, what, what's going on, man? I get to speak it out loud, and they're like, wow, let's, let's work on that. Number one, take the thought captive. Here's the second thing is we consider the fruit. Where's that thought coming from? How did it, how did it pop up? Is it good or is it not good? What kind of fruit is it? Good fruit or not good fruit? If you're not sure what good fruit or not good fruit looks like, Galatians 5 has a great little list. Again, oddly enough, it's Paul. This must have been something he dealt with regularly. In chapter 5, verse 19, it says the acts of the flesh are obvious or the fruit of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So that thought you just took captive and put it on the table, does it look like that? Is it kind of in that category? Those are probably thoughts that aren't from God. Those are probably thoughts that's not good fruit. Paul goes on and says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That thought you just pulled out and put on the table, does it look like that? Is it closer to that? If it looks closer to that, hey, great, you're off to the races, man. Chase that thought. Continue with that. More often than not, the thought we're putting on the table, it's probably not in the fruit of the Spirit category. It's probably in the other category, and it's something we're going, what? What is going on? This idea of taking that thought, putting it, and, 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 and looking at it, and trying to figure out where it's coming from, uh, we'd call that fruit to root. Can you picture a tree? Fruit, the top, down to the root. Where's that coming from? This is what I'm experiencing. What's that coming from? You know, you know, reality, this is what counselors try to do. Therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists. (laughs) Well, what's going on? Where's that coming from? Uh, We should, I'm going to charge you on the way out of the door. We're going to pay for it. I'm just kidding. This is a super practical tool. The third thing then, once you get on the table and you're asking the question, where's it coming from? And it's looking like fruit that doesn't seem to be in line with what God would have us do. Here's the third thing. You fight it with the gospel. I could put a lot of words in there instead of fight. I just like that word fight. You fight it. You fight it with the gospel. So much of what goes in our, on in our minds is a fight. Right? Fight it with the gospel. Does it stand up to gospel scrutiny? We wash it with the truth of Jesus. We wash it with the gospel and the junk will pour away. That's the idea. Right? Vanderstelt would call this root to fruit. So we apply the gospel to this root stuff that's causing us to live, think, do this stuff. And that stuff, idea, would be that it begins to flow and wash away. In reality, it's confession. Confession of faith being the idea of what I really believe. Okay, I, I want to I play with this, and I, and I want to do it. Um, uh, uh, I'll use me because I don't care. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Uh, I can't draw, and I can't spell. So are we Okay. I'm going to be okay? So if you're going to correct me on stuff, don't, don't correct me on that. There'll be plenty of stuff to correct me on. Okay, so here we go. It's a tree. I know. Yeah, you'll be okay. All right? Those are roots. You with me? So um, 
it was uh, maybe 20, 20, I think it was 2013, 2012, 2013. Uh, Becca, my oldest daughter, she's cool. She's not here so we can talk about her. It's fun. She, um, she, uh, they watch the videos sometimes and I always wonder what her and her boyfriend are thinking when they're watching the video. She's probably just shaking her head. But, um, uh, she has scoliosis from, from young, scoliosis curvature of the spine. Sometimes it's not a big deal with her. It was a big deal. It was going to continue to curve until it, it, it poked an organ out. And so it was, um, a big deal to get corrected. She wore a back brace for a couple of years, which is awesome when you're in junior high, and um, and then uh, we were trying to figure out how to avoid surgery, but they were saying probably surgery is the only option, and so by the time she was done back bracing it, uh, surgery was the option. So in 2013, they were going to do full spinal fusion on her back. They're going to open her up from top to bottom and put titanium rods, which is also really cool, into her back. And um, so she's uh, 13, I think, four, 13, 14 years old, something like that, and um, now this is not a surprise what I'm going to say next, because you'll, you'll be with me. I was absolutely terrified. Fair enough? So uh, so the, the things that I'm experiencing, as I just think back to that time, this is what I was working on this week, uh, f- certainly uh, I'm experiencing anxiety. That's got to be close, right? This is just for the front, by the way. If you're in the back, can't see it, right? Tons of anxiety. Um, not sleeping, uh, stress. Um, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have panic attack disorder, but but I was feeling that, um, just that sense of um, what is going on. I, I was experiencing uh, a ton of panic. This is what I was living through at the time. Uh, anxiety, panic, and it had been that way for a few years. You know, as we were moving towards surgery, and then, um, but it, it, once surgery was scheduled. Um, that this stuff uh, crept up into kind of a about a nine, eight, or a nine out of the scale of ten. The other thing that I was experiencing, I'm, I'm just confessing to you, but I don't think anybody would argue with this. A ton of anger, a ton of anger, because it's not fair. Are you with me? She's a good kid. Like she's a good kid, loving Jesus, trying to figure out how to do life. I'm a pastor for crying out loud. Jesus, this stuff doesn't happen. This ain't right. This sucks. This is stupid. I'm frustrated. I'm angry at God in particular because He made it happen. This is. I'm just angry. Angry, anxiety, panic, fruit. Are you with me? Fruit. Where is that coming from? I'm, I'm thinking that. I'm, I'm living that. Uh, I'm, uh, this is my world of, of what I'm doing at the time. This, this is kind of what I'm doing. So who does this say about me? If this is how I'm living, what am I believing about myself? In this moment, as I'm struggling with anxiety, panic, anger, what am I thinking about myself? Well, I know what's going on, to be frank, over here on the anxiety side is I'm not in control. And I know that this will come as a surprise for you guys. I I like to be in control (laughs) because it gets done right then. (laughs) Okay, that's good. Some of you are with me, right? Now, we laugh, right, because it's, but I'm being serious, like, I'm, 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 I'm frustrated and I'm experiencing anxiety because I can't, I can't do anything about this. And I can't control it. And I'm going to hand my kid over to some 22-year-old surgeon. I'm just kidding. He's probably 84. I have no idea. Right? He's going to rip her open. He doesn't care about her. He doesn't know her. He doesn't understand the plans that God has for her life. Man, I got tons of anxiety because I'm not in control. I got tons of panic going on because I can't fix it. Fair enough? Guys, you're probably with me. Most guys were fixers. Right, simple, we just do it and get it done, whatever. Because again, I'm the only one that can fix it. Except apparently I can't do back surgery. I don't know how to do spinal fusion surgery. I looked at YouTube, there's no YouTube video. Well, there were, but they were gross. Right? I don't even understand the words. Right? So I'm struggling because I'm anxious. I'm filled with panic, right? I'm trying, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm thinking about myself. I have no control, but I deserve control. 
because I'm the only one who can do it right. Right? I can't fix it, but I should be able to fix it because, well, frankly, that's my daughter. Mine. And I'm responsible to fix that. Are you with me? I'm struggling. I'm angry. Can you guess why I'm angry? Where do I put this at? I'll put it over here. I'm angry because, um, because we did all the right stuff, right? We took our kid to Awana, then took her to Sunday school, then we took her to church. She came to Christ at a young age, and we had her eat her vegetables, and she has to eat her dinner first before she goes and eats dessert. And we, uh, we uh, you know, <laughs> told her boys are bad until they become men, and dust it away, and, and we read our Bibles together at night. We watched all the Veggie Tales at least 400 times each, right? We did all the right things. I didn't put her in football, Right? No football or wrestling for her. Right? This, this is not fair. It's not fair. And I'm thinking, uh, I don't deserve this. I deserve better. Right? I did all the right things. I deserve better. Is this making, is this uncomfortable? Is this uncomfortable because I'm telling too much of myself or is it uncomfortable because you're, you're smelling yourself here? Is that, is that, so I'm, a, I'm, I'm angry at God because this isn't how it works, God. So obviously, if I'm doing my part and you're not doing your part, the problem is you, God. So you obviously, you don't care about me, so I'm worthless, right? I'm less than. Or, or maybe, maybe I'm not those things. Maybe, maybe God's out to get me. Right? Maybe he just woke up one day and was like, you know what? Let's screw with Chris today. I, I'm being straight with you. Like, I, I'm angry. I'm panicked. I'm anxiety. I, I'm, this, is, this is what I'm saying about myself. I have zero control because I'm worthless. I can't fix it because I'm stupid. Uh, obviously, God doesn't care about me. He's not looking at me. Or if he is looking at me, he is like a capricious meanie that's just trying to get me. Okay, are we, are we uncomfortable yet? So this is, this is what I was doing up here, and this is who I am, or at least what I'm saying about me. You can't read this. I apologize. This is who I am. We start moving down, right? So what, if this, just work in this right here, what is this saying about what God is doing? And we kind of slipped into it already. What is God doing? If, if this is true, and we're just chasing this fruit down to the root, what is it saying about what God's Doing well, obviously, obviously, if he's not letting me control it, that means he can't control it. So obviously, he's not controlling it. He's not in control, right? This is what I'm saying. If I'm thinking these things, right, and I'm just being straight with you and walking through this, I'm saying God's not in control, right? So that must mean that he's either um, impotent, weak, right? He can't be in control, or or he chooses to not be in control because he's mean. I'm saying, I'm saying God's not in control. I'm saying God's not paying attention. I'm, I'm saying God's not into fair or, or just. God's probably not on his throne. I don't know if he took a smoke break or what, but he's not paying attention. What is God doing or not doing? And then what am I saying about who God is? If those things are true, or at least that's how I'm living in the moment, what am I saying about who God is? Well, I think I've said words like, is red work, mean, what else did I say? Do we remember? Impotent. What's that? Capricious. I can't spell that, but we're going to go close. 
I know, right? Capricious? Doesn't care? We could add more, depending on how much time we had. This is what I'm living and experiencing. We work it down to the root, and I'm saying God is not caring, he's mean, he's impotent, he's capricious. Now pause for a second and and breathe. Is that true? Do I really believe those things about God? Is it true? Or is it, or is it not true? Well, I'll just go quick. That's not true. Like I just, as I'm saying that, I'm uncomfortable. On one hand, I, I'm also pretty comfortable just being straight with God because He knows what I'm thinking anyways. But, but, but as, as we're working through that, I'm pretty uncomfortable because I'm like, no, I, I don't believe that that's true of, of God's character. I don't believe that's who God is. So now we pause, right? We took that thought, we put it uh, on the table, and, and we pushed it all the way down to the root. Let's, let's work backwards. Ready? And I need your help with this. So we'll see if we can flip that. That's awesome. Let's draw a tree again. You like the tree? I'm killing this marker here. We said those things that I was saying, who God is, weren't true. So let's start down here with who who God, just for sake of not having to write too much. So just given what we said, what I said about me, I need your help. Just using those thoughts and what we just kind of talked through, who is God actually? If we say that's not true, he's not mean and capricious and, and out to get me and, and impotent, what, what is God? Who is God? I'm looking for help here. Okay, loving. Powerful, all powerful. There. Faithful, consistent, wise. Is that what I heard? What I hear? Wise, wise, forgiving. You see how we could keep going on? He's good. He has my best interest at heart. That's his, that's his character, right? How do we know that that stuff is true? Bible tells us that, right? But here's the second thing. What has God done? We have it up on the screen up there because it's a little more helpful than trying to read it. Here, what has God done or what is he doing that proves his character? I'm looking for some help with this. Jesus, one, one word. What about Jesus? He sent Jesus, right? Sent Jesus, if God were capricious and not caring and not involved, why would he send his son to, to take my place so that he and I could have a relationship, right? What else has God done or doing? He, he is, in the, in, we know this, right? In the scripture, he's able to heal. And if he doesn't, he still has a plan, right? We see him planning. Okay, what else? Say that one more time. We see him caring. We're, we can look in scriptures and we see him over and over again interacting with people that other people consider to be not worth touching or interacting with. Jesus spent time with people like that. He's caring. He's compassionate, right? Oftentimes as he worked with people who were caught in sin, his compassion just poured out of him as he interacted with those people. We know he's caring and compassionate. Okay, so if those things are true and we could continue to go on and on, what does that say about who I am? Uh, that's an H. 
And we're thinking in relationship to panic, anxiety, anger. I'm forgiven for sure. Dearly loved. Chosen. Which seems to imply some kind of a plan for me. If I'm chosen, then Jesus has got his eye on me and Rebecca, right? What else am I? I'm a child. Man, we care about our kids, don't we? And when our kids hurt, we hurt, right? And if I'm a son of God, when I hurt, and I'm an heir. I have something better waiting for me. We could keep going on who I am. And as we walk back up this route to fruit, speaking truth, the truth of the gospel into that situation of anxiety, anger, and panic, I'm starting to think about things like, well, here's what I'm, here's what I'm kind of feeling at this point, peace. Because, because I, don't, I don't have to be in control because the creator of the universe really is in control. And so even as much as I'm not really digging this right now and I don't like what's going on in my life circumstances, I know that there's someone greater than me in control, which is actually somewhat comforting and giving me peace. Make sense? What else am I feeling? Hmm. Gratitude? Ah, a sense of hope. Because even though we signed those papers that said if, you're, if your daughter dies in surgery, you can't sue the hospital, man, I have a hope that God has a better plan than that. And if for some reason he chooses to take her, oh, please, Jesus, don't. <laughs> if he chooses to take her, he still has a better plan. And as much as I don't want to walk through that, okay, I'm beginning to think there's some hope, there's some peace, there's some gratitude. Again, we could continue on and on. Do you see kind of how that works? I think this is one of the most valuable. Now, here's the reality. Well, I think this is one of the most valuable tools, and it was really cool. We just did that on the board together. And by the way, the second half, when we move from root to fruit, we do need a group. It's not just a speaking shtick I'm doing. Like, we need a group to help speak into us on that. And so thanks for participating in that this morning. For me, uh, uh, back in uh, 2013, uh, one thing that I had to do to help me work through this was I had to start listing out all the ways that God had been faithful in my life, in my 40 years of life at the time. And I started listing and listing and came up with pages and pages and said, man, if you haven't given up on me yet, like if you haven't let go yet, why would you start now? It just does, that just doesn't make logical sense. It doesn't make me love that day. It doesn't make me want to return to that at all. You're with me, right? But at the same time, there was some different experiences. What, what, what am I doing at the time? What's going on in my mind? What am I thinking? By taking those thoughts captive, working them down to where they're coming from, and then working them back up with truth, I don't know, all of a sudden, I, I'm living a little bit differently. Now, if, just because I want to be honest with you, this lasted probably 34 seconds. <laughs> and then I was back on the other side of the board. I had to do it again. Right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I got two minutes out of it. You know what I'm saying? This is not magical. Like, I don't want to be the guy up here that's like, just do this and then you'll be better forever. Yay. <laughs> that just seems uh, dishonest. Right? We keep fighting it because the battle is in our mind. Here's the last quote that I want to read. And we'll sing a song and we'll be done. Fruit to root. This is what uh, Vanderstelt says, and I just love it. He says, we don't need more self-help. We don't need denial. We need deliverance. Satan is real. Sin is bad. Death is inevitable. We need more than ourselves and our personal efforts. We need the truth. 
We need the power of God to save us. We need the gospel. In the gospel, we come to know and believe that God is our forgiver, redeemer, and restorer. Fruit to root, root to fruit. If, if you're in a life group, a gospel fluent group, you're going to have some time to play with this this week, man. I pray that you guys do that in your groups. I think this is one of the most valuable tools in helping us take our thoughts captive and forcing them into the obedience of Jesus. Let me pray for us. And then we'll be done. We'll sing a song and, and leave here. Jesus, thanks for your love for us. Thanks that, um, that we can have some tools that help us think differently about who you are and about how we're interacting. God, we're not, we're not, we're not have to be captive to our own thinking and our own feelings, but God, we have control over what we think and what we feel. That means a ton to me. Jesus, thanks for that. Thanks that we're not just Left alone to figure it out. Thanks that you care for us, God. Thanks for material and for thinkers and for the scripture that helps drive us towards you and getting our thinking uh, in line with who you are. Jesus, for us who are here this morning, I don't know, just help us. Help us, God. Help us not listen to, to, to Satan right now saying, this is dumb, this will never work. God, help us not to listen to our own flesh that says, I don't have time to mess with that. I don't have time for that. I'm way too busy. God, help, help us to not listen to the culture around us that says, no, don't, don't do that. Just, just entertain yourself or take this drug or do this thing instead. Or, God, help us to listen to you and your spirit. And if there's, if there's wisdom in this, God, then you make that clear to our hearts. And if there's something better, you make that clear to our hearts, God. But I just pray most of all, you would just drive us to you. I love you, Jesus. Amen.